0: This morning, um, we're going to jump back into the book of James, and I know I keep doing this to you, but I I just, I like it. If you would stand with me, we're going to read James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We're going to be looking at four verses today. So James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Father, even as we read these words, we see uh, the application of them. We feel the application of them. Who among us knows what the next moment holds, and yet we try to plan and we try to to impose our will on what the next day will bring? And, and Father, we know. uh, We know with certainty that we are uncertain as to what the next day will hold. And so, Father, would we never move out beyond you? Would we never rush ahead of you? uh, But would we find ourselves trusting in in you? Staying in the moment, not looking beyond it. But also, Father, understanding the, the magnitude of each moment. The urgency of each moment. That we would live it for you, so help us, God, as we look at this passage to hear from you, to apply this to our lives, and as it says, as we know, would we go and do uh, these things that you call us to? We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's there's three three moments uh, in my life, in no particular order, that. Um, that come to mind when i read this passage uh, the, the first one uh, was when we as a family we were traveling together and we were playing in this beautiful park and we were in austria uh, my daughter ella who's about to turn 14 in october she was turning 10 she was hitting that decade mark, and as a dad, I was trying to come to terms with how quickly that had gone, and, and she jumped on this zip line in the middle of the park, this swing that just, you could kind of slide along for days with all of these beautiful hills around you, and truly the hills were alive with the sound of music. It was, it was glorious, and she, she jumped on, and she's going, and I grabbed my phone to kind of capture the moment as I'm taking in my 10-year-old, zipping along. When my youngest son, without knowing anything that's like flooding through my brain, just starts to give commentary on this moment, he's like, Dad, she sure is going fast, isn't she? It doesn't look like it goes that fast, but it is going fast, right? He's talking about the swing. I'm tearing up thinking about her life, and I'm like, oh, buddy, more insightful than you know. But it was this moment where I just recognized how fast we'd gone from bringing home this new child into our home to now she was a 10-year-old. Now she's beginning her freshman year. Many of you parents know that it just gets worse and worse and faster and faster, right? So that was, that was one moment. Another moment was, was standing in a, in a parking lot with my, one of my best friend's wives. She was just weeping. I'd been in a meeting and she had called to tell me that my friend was on his way to the hospital again. This had become a common occurrence in his battle with cancer, except this time felt different. And as we sat in that parking lot, we both just shook because we didn't know if he was ever going to come home again. And it was this disruption in the midst of, of, of life that reminded me just how fleeting it is and that we just never know. The third moment was not really a pinpointed moment, it was more this subtle shift that took place over time in the life of my family. When my wife was at her her worst with her health and there was just a lot of questions we had with very little answers and wondering what the next day would hold, there was this moment where instead of just embracing and and kind of pushing pause and just sitting down and being like, we're just going to wait until we have some answers, where I watched my wife's trust shift to the certainty of her creator. And she chose to embrace whatever moment it was going to look like, whatever pain she was going to walk through, she was going to live in the moment for the Lord. Now, Rachel got there first, but she brought the rest of our family along, and it's changed the way we have functioned ever since. But each of these moments are this reminder that time is going faster than we like to think it does. That death is a reality that we will experience and have experienced whether through the loss of a loved one or through a diagnosis of our own that that reminds us of no guarantee of the days that we have. And so when we come to James 4.13, he's speaking of these truths. He's reminding us that as fast as things are moving, how we choose to live and what we choose to live for matters so he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. I think right now this could be in the running for the verse of the year for 2020, right? We all started off with a plan of what this year would look like. And we find ourselves every day going, can it get any weirder? And then it does, right? there's a lot of time left in 2020. But James is pointing out this truth that he does each week. We talk about it every week that he's saying what we proclaim, the truth that we cling to should match the way that we live. What we proclaim with our mouth should match the way that we live. And so the sooner we recognize that we are out of control, that we're not in control of every little detail, uh, no matter how well we plan saying the better there's a better place to start than with our plan and what i appreciate here is james uses this example of of someone who's who's trying to get their business up and running they've got this business plan and they're going to go to this town and they're going to trade their goods there and they're going to make a profit so that they can stay successful they can stay afloat Now, when James is using this example, he's not saying business is evil. He's not saying the pursuit of profit is this evil thing. He's just giving us a real life, tangible example. Now, in this day and age, when James is writing, most people had a peasant mentality because most people were poor. They didn't have a lot. There was really no middle class to speak of. It was kind of the poor and then the, the very small percent at top that was really rich. And so everyone had to work hard just to make, uh, make a living, to make a way. And so James is, is saying, again, uh, you can have your plans and he's not saying don't have a plan. He's, he's not saying don't pursue to make a profit. Don't pursue to do well in your, your business. What he's emphasizing, though, is that too often we get out of order. We, we say we trust God as our provider, but in reality, our own plans take priority. That's what James is pushing us towards in this moment. He's saying that we need to make sure that we, we order ourselves correctly, that we don't get out ahead of, of God. And then, and, and then along the way, say, won't you catch up with us? God, now that I've decided what I, I want to do, won't you now come and bless what I've decided? Now James is saying, don't jump ahead. Don't make plans, start to carry them out, and then invite God into them. He's saying there's a better order, there's a better way. Because the truth is we have no idea what tomorrow holds. The truth is we don't even know what's going to happen when we walk out of here. And so James is reminding of us of this truth. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Jesus gets after the same idea in Matthew 6:43. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the other verse that could be in the running for verse of the year for 2020. Because we keep wondering, when is this whole thing going to end? But each day has enough trouble of its own, and so we've got to embrace what's right in front of us to reorient ourselves well. Jesus told a parable in Luke uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. He says, and he told them this parable saying, the land of a a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have made ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And I love this story that Jesus is telling because it was a story that would have it would have been one that they understood. This aim that I think many of us still have to this day. I'm going to work really hard, and then at the end, I'm going to play really hard. I'm going to store up all my goods, and then I can just take my foot off the gas, and I can say, soul, you have enough now. We've arrived now. We can really begin to live. The first part of life was just to get here. But Jesus finishes that story in verse 20. He says, but God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next moment holds. We have no idea how much time we have or do not have. Now some hear that and that can feel paralyzing. That can induce this this fear. But what James is telling us is that this should not stop us from living. No, this should have actually quite the opposite effect on how we approach life. I love how William Barclay says this. He says, The true Christian way is not to be terrorized into fear, and not to be paralyzed into inaction, but the uncertainty of the future or by the uncertainty of the future, but to commit the future and all of our plans into the hands of God and always to remember that our plans may not be within the purpose of God. That last line is important. Always remember that our plans may not be within the purpose of God, that we are to commit our plans always. There's a right ordering to take our plans before God, say, I'm going to give them to you with open hands. I'm going to commit them to you, but you may have a different desire in this. So I'm always going to start with you. And again, this shouldn't terrorize us with fear. It shouldn't paralyze us with inaction. Rather, what it's telling us is that you are to trust your provider above your plans. You are to trust your provider above your plans. See, too often we we proclaim that, but then we hold tight to our plans. and, And when they get bumped, it really throws us off. But let me also say on the opposite side of this, this isn't saying don't make plans. This isn't just saying like, let's just see what comes today and we'll just go through life. No, so much of scripture talks around this idea of being disciplined, being steady in the way you go. It's this long obedience in the same direction day after day. But we have to rightly order the plans that we have. Proverbs 16, three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be Established. Take those things that you want to do, bring them before the Lord, allow him to establish your plans, allow him to speak into your plans. Not after they're all settled, but in the midst, in the process of going, okay, Lord, this is what I'm seeing. But Lord, what would you have me do? Where are you in this? We start with our commitment to the Lord and then we work out our plans from there. Because when we start there, when we start with him, then when our plans get bumped or when our plans get changed, when our plans get shifted, whatever we're holding on to, we can hold looser. We're not banking on just our plans. We're banking on him. And instead of being anchored to the ever-changing, we're anchored to the unchanging one. And so we trust in our provider above our plans. Now, it's also important to notice here that James is reminding us um, that in our work, whatever we do, however we earn a living, uh, whatever we give ourselves to, that that shouldn't be separate from our faith. See, when he talks around this person who had this business plan and I'm going to go and do such and such and I'm going to trade this and make this much profit, that was all devoid of coming before the Lord. It was almost seeing as if there was this like sacred, secular divide. And what James is reminding us is that divide is gone, that all of life is sacred when we are following Jesus. So that wherever we go, his spirit is residing in us, right? We're his temple. Holy ground is all around us because he is with us. And so there is no sacred, secular divide any longer when it comes to those who follow Jesus. So your work, all that you do is to be done not to your glory, but to his glory. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in all things, trust the provider over your plans. But James continues here. He keeps talking and he points out the brevity of life. The tail end of verse 14. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I love this image that James gives us because he says, this, this is us. That's it. You see it? It's gone. This is you. This is me. This is what you'll remember from the sermon. Right? This is how quickly it goes. This is how fast it is. When you stack up all the history of the world, we are but a blip. And again, I don't, I don't say that to terrorize us with fear, to paralyze us into inaction, to be like, oh, there's just nothing here. But it's to recognize that our time is short. I love how the, the preacher, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, when we read through it, reminds us in verse one, it says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word vanity is, is, is vapor, it's mist, vapor, mist, vapor, mist, all of it is vapor and mist. That's it. It's here and then it's gone. So what do we do with that? If it all fades, do we just eat, drink, and be merry? Do we just live our best life now? Now, I believe that we have to to recognize and we have to embrace the magnitude of the mist. We have to embrace the magnitude of the mist while fleeting, while brief, we have this beautiful mist that we get to experience here and now. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to pack every bit of life, every, every ounce of us into every heroic moment now because it's fleeting so fast and so everything must be special. No, it, it means that when the opportunity presents itself that we step in, but we, we live Because I think our temptation when we see that life is just this mist, that it's just fleeting as we start to fall into this mentality of of the YOLO mentality, right? You only live once, so I better do everything that can just pump my heart and get my adrenaline going and I'm going to get a wingsuit and I'm going to go jump out of a plane and it's going to be great and I'm going to do as much as I can and as little time as I can and I'm going to live every little bit of moment just for myself and my own pleasure and I'm going to get everything out of life that I can get. See, that's the problem when we start thinking in that mentality, when we go, it's a mist, so I better do what I want here and now. That's the way of the world. That's what the world will tell you. You've got to do everything you want to do. And, and James is reminding us there's something better. We're to live for something more. So make the most of this mist of life. See, instead of you ought to say is what he says, if, if the Lord... Or wills we will live and do this or do that see the, the magnitude of the mist reminds us that it's, it's it's fleeting and instead of just trying to impose our will on it we're going to take control and i'm going to live for myself james reminds us here verse 15 instead you ought to say if the lord wills we will live and do this or that So this puts in perspective how we are to embrace this fleeting moment of life. This is how we ought to run our life. We can plan, we can be disciplined, but the order must always be, if the Lord wills, I will do this. If the Lord wills, then I will do that. If the Lord wills, my family and I will actually leave tomorrow on vacation. If the Lord wills. But it can't just become some reflect, reflexive thing that we say. Like it's just a cute saying that just becomes trite. Like, well, if the Lord wills. Right? If somebody sneezes around you, what do you say? That was confusing. If, if Lord, yeah. If someone sneezes, you say if the Lord will. No, if someone sneezes around you now, you run. You get out of there, right? We don't know what they're carrying. That's unsafe. That's unsafe. No, if, if, if somebody sneezes, right, you say, Bless you, or God bless you. It's just this reaction that we have, isn't it? Now, how many of you in that moment are really thinking, God No, I'm being serious. Like like, when someone sneezes, you're like, that really recentered me. God bless you. Would you go in his peace? No, why why did that come about? Well, there's some different reasoning behind that. There's there's some legend that some believe that when you sneezed, you're actually expelling evil spirits. And that when you did that, you're emptying yourself. And that made uh, other wandering spirits able to enter into your body. So some began to say, God bless you, as a way of protecting you. Others believe that during the bubonic plague, Pope Gregory said that when people sneeze, the best thing we can do is pray for them. So remember to pray for them by saying, God bless you. But it, it loses its meaning the more we do it at times. We just, oh, bless you, bless you. And I've seen that happen with this phrase of, well, if the Lord wills. It just becomes this tag on. No, we have to let that one seep down into our bones to really understand it. Okay, if the Lord wills, this is is my plan. If the Lord wills, we'll, we'll be able to go forward. It's this recognition of this momentary mist of life that we have, that we all come under the sovereignty of our Creator. We have no control over the time and days of our life, but He does. So if it's His will, I'll step forward into that. And Lord, if that's what you have me step forward in, I will jump in with both feet. This is what James is reminding us about. So we shouldn't just say, Lord willing, because we're superstitious, right? Not even a little stitious, right? We we, we say, Lord willing, because we, we trust in Him. That we recognize the momentary mist of our life. And Lord willing, we'll all be back here next weekend. This short phrase just kind of centers us on this truth of God's sovereignty in our life. It also should help us to see the gratitude of the life that we experience. That we have breath in our lungs. That we, we woke up and we had a, a roof over our heads. That the sun is shining and it's beautiful outside. All of these are gifts not to be taken for granted but to be embraced as a reminder of the goodness of our Father in heaven. But this also, this momentary mist of life, should create an urgency in how we live. Because if life is but a mist, then let us not waste time on meaningless things. Let us fix our eyes on Him. Whatever we do, whatever we work at, may it all be to the glory of Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus, we should be a people of of depth and breadth that embrace the life before us, that live fully, seeing the magnitude of the mist that we have been given with, with deep gratitude. And so James is walking us along in these four short verses He's reminding us to trust in our provider over our our plan to embrace the magnitude of the mist. And now he continues to point out the dangers of misplacing our priorities and the the danger of placing ourselves at the center. Verse 16. As it is, you, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. But let's look at that verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. What's he talking about? What are you you boasting in? Well, you're boasting in your plans. You're boasting in your abilities. You're boasting in what you have accomplished. Look at what I have done. To boast is to proclaim the gloriousness of your own accomplishments when you're boasting in yourself. It's to place yourself above your provider and be like, I have done this. Herod the Great was a man who pursued this, who boasted of his great accomplishments. He built these magnificent structures that you can still see the ruins of to this day. But the the thing with Herod, the reason we still talk about him is because he's a footnote to the story of Jesus. That's why Herod, when suddenly uh, these men came talking around this, this king who was to be born, this baby that would become a king of the Jews, he panicked. He, he saw his control withering because he was boasting in his ability to be known and be known as great. And yet when we speak of him now, we just speak of him as this sad reminder of what happens when we pursue our own greatness, when we boast in our own abilities. See, the word boast here carries with it the sense that you are boasting in something that that cannot match its claims. It's like an old salesman trying to give you uh, some tonic that's the miracle cure and goes town to town. It's just dispelling these lies and boasting in these great things, but it never matches up uh, to what it can actually do. It's not uncommon to find things like this now targeted towards us on our, our phones or different ads that come. And that's why when this, this little gem popped up, i want to show you this picture, on my feed, I, I took a little of See, this miracle helmet boasts of using infrared technology to help uh, restore and increase hair growth. I'm not really sure why it showed up on my feed. But it it makes claims that that it just cannot back up. And I know because I watched the full video for a friend. Uh, (laughs) But what James is reminding us in this moment is that when we boast, when we boast in our arrogance, when we boast in ourselves, we are making claims that we just cannot back up. That we express our intentions, but we have no guarantee for what the next moment holds. And what we find is that the more we plan, the more we try to control and shape our life, the, the more tightly we hold on to that illusion of control, the more devastating the effect is on us when, when it runs out and we recognize we don't have control. I've seen this play out in, in so many different ways in people's lives from, from young and old. Students who are convinced that they're going to be the next great baseball player. And so they pursue that sport with everything they have. They they get special coaches, all their time, all their energy goes towards that. And then they're in a car accident and their arm gets broken and it never works the same way again. And all those aspirations are gone and they're left wondering, I don't even know who I am anymore. Everything was towards this moment. Or someone who says, I'm in full, full, complete control of my life. Don't you see how great? I'm just climbing the corporate ladder and I'm becoming more and more successful and I'm influencing. And then suddenly they lose their job and it all comes crashing down. You don't even know who you are anymore. This is what James is, is reminding us to, to embrace the magnitude of the mist, to, to understand the fleetingness of it all, to be tethered and anchored to the one who is unchanging, unwavering. To boast in vain things and in our arrogance is is evil. The word here is Panera. And it's this idea that we are boasting in something that can never satisfy. That's why Paul reminds us that if we're going to boast in anything, and in 1 Corinthians one thirty one, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for He alone can satisfy, for He alone can back up all of His claims. The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John two. He says, "For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires." Of the eyes and the pride. That word pride there is the same word used here in James for boasting. That pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So if we're looking for something that's going to go beyond the mist, beyond the vapor, that's not here one second, but last, that's that's tangible. And let us look to the Lord who is forever. And let us use the time that we have here and now for his glory and for his cause. For that which is lasting is of the Lord and that which is fleeting is of the world. And so James concludes this section in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. There's not much explanation needed there, is there? Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, for her, it is a sin. And so what James is reminding us is that when you know the right thing, when you've been shown the pathway, do it. Don't avoid it. Don't go a different direction. Follow what God has put before you. When you know the right action to step into a moment, don't shrink back, embrace the magnitude of the mist and realize your actions matter and step into what God has put before you. And when we know the right thing and we don't do it, then, then we'll be held accountable. Because to know the right thing and not do it is sin. It's to, to miss the mark. It's to fall short of the glory of God and His standard that He's put over us. It's to once again be someone who James has been warning us against that, that we hear what we are to do, but we don't do it. And so James is just saying, real simply now that you know, go and do. Now that you know what God's calling you to, go and do. This is the practice of daily dependence on God. Every day, this is living in such a way that you trust your provider over your plan, that you embrace the magnitude of of the mist. And now that you know, go and do. Allow your words to match your actions. Allow your faith to fuel your life. This is the life that Jesus invites us into. Life lived in the moment To the glory of God, to take each day as as a gift, but also as an opportunity to participate in what he's doing in his kingdom here and now, to serve him, to hold loosely to our plans, to commit them to the Lord. And then when he asks us to adjust them, which he will, that we trust our provider over our plan. And now that we know what he's calling us to, we go and do Jesus came that we might have life, and not partial life, but life to the full. To be constantly looking to what is next is to, to miss out on the magnitude of the mist. It's so fleeting that often we're, we're not embracing the moments before us because we're wondering what's, what's after, what, what's coming But when we step in and when we watch the life of Jesus, we see that he took each moment as it came to him. He took each person as they came to him. And he embraced the moment. And when we pattern our life after him, when we see what's possible through him, then we don't put off for tomorrow what we can step into today. Because the truth is we don't know how much time we have We have no guarantee. And I think that's a gift because it means each moment matters. It also means that if you have never stepped into life with Christ, if you have never proclaimed him as your Lord and Savior, if you've never experienced his forgiveness, I don't want you to put that off another moment. So whether you're in this room right now, whether you are watching online, know that Jesus has come and he has offered you life. In the sin and the shame that we carry, he has overcome and he offers forgiveness to all who will embrace him. And not only that, this momentary mist of life that we experience, in him we get to join in all of eternity alongside him. We don't have to live in fear of our death, wondering what comes next, because he will be with us for all of eternity. This is the gift of life in Christ that he calls each and every one of us to. See, to live chasing the moment, trying to fulfill it and satisfy or to earn our meaning or to justify our existence or to satisfy our own wants and needs, it's futile. We'll never catch up, but Jesus has already shown us our worth. He's already proven our meaning, and he alone can satisfy. And he's come. That we no longer have to be terrorized by fear or paralyzed by inaction, so that we can live and embrace life to the full. So let us trust in our provider over our own plans. Let us acknowledge that life is fleeting, but let us embrace the magnitude of the mist. Let us use each moment to the glory of our creator and our savior. For all have sinned, and all will taste death. But in Christ, death has lost its sting. Jesus has swallowed up the grave, and He grants us peace with him. But this truth is this truth is for all, but we have to embrace it. We have to turn towards Him. And so whether you have never made that decision or whether you have been following him for years and you have found yourself drifting or in the midst of this moment we find ourselves and you've forgotten that he has not been knocked off his throne but that he is still sovereign over all, would you once again trust in our provider and our king over our own plans and our own intentions and let us, each of us, live our today, for His glory, let us come to him, and in him we will find life. You pray with me. Father, I, I recognize the, the brevity of time. And Lord, I do pray for anybody. In this room, anyone who is watching along, who has yet to give their life to you, Father, I pray that they would, that they would recognize the hope that is alive in you. Father, that they would know that should they turn and just seek your forgiveness, trusting in you to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own, that in you we find freedom and life. And so, Lord, anyone anyone listening who needs to make that decision towards you, would they simply just say, I repent of, of my wrong actions. I repent of my trust in myself. I repent of my sin and I turn towards you. I place my hope. I place my trust in you. I will trust in you and trust in your plan above my own will and my own way. I'll embrace you as Lord all the days of my life and into eternity. Father, we are grateful for who you are, for the gift that you have given us in your son, that we can live this this momentary mist with, with meaning. So, Lord, would we pursue you in all things? Would we not take for granted the days that we have? Would we not chase meaningless things, but would we come before you each and every day say, Lord, what do you have for me today? I bring my plans. I bring my appointments. I bring my schedule. I bring my my hours at work. I bring them before you and say, Lord, let me be obedient to what you would have in these moments. Father, I pray when we we step in, God, when we lean into that, that we would see and we would see the newness of life that you offer, the beauty that is all around us and that you are at work and you are good. So Father, we place our trust in you. May we embrace the moments that are before us And God, as James so uh, reminds us, would we take these words, would we not just let them be words, but would we let them fuel the way in which we live for you in all things? God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We love you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.